0: Thank you for that prayer, Leonard. I want to be faithful in doing even as you prayed. God bless you all for being here this morning. I see some familiar faces, Doug and Rose, and some others from a long time ago, Grace, Peck, it's good to be among you this morning. When I think of coming to preach at Hillcrest, I I generally think of a a young audience, and I suppose the message this morning will be addressed to the young audience. Is that okay? That's okay, Leonard says. Okay. We're all young. Okay. (laughs) Very good. Yeah, well, the message, somehow the Lord impressed on my heart, and I'm not sure why, and even at times have second thoughts, well, Lord, is this what you want me to preach but it, he laid the message on my heart, and I'd like to share that with you this morning. I feel like I don't have enough time to address the subject entirely, completely, as I want to. But I also want to present this message as a, a means for you to uh, discover for yourself what the Bible says about the subject and do some studying yourself. Not just, I'm not here to give you answers as such but maybe give you some instruction and teaching and hope that uh, uh, motivates you to uh, look into the subject yourself and discover yourself what the Lord says about it. We sang songs this morning of of uh, those who, uh, well, we sang the song Jesus Saves, so I'm assuming that most everyone here knows something what it, you know, about being saved, has repented of sin, and uh, uh, is, does have a desire to follow God and his principles. And uh, we are uh, concerned, or we, we have a certain amount of reverence for God and his holiness. Uh, we... we reverence God we have a certain sense of awe and respect for God and we want to hear what God says on a particular subject and I think if we have a reverence for God then it says something that we also desire to be holy even as God is holy not on the same level but we have that desire for to live a holy life and I think a holy people want to appear like the blood-washed saints we're blood-washed saints, and we want to appear like a holy people. So I haven't introduced the subject yet. I've kept you waiting, but here it is. Biblical basis for clothing. Now, well, you can think about that, and maybe uh, maybe you shut your ears off. I-, I hope not. I'm not going to address particulars. I just want to look at what Scripture says and look at some principles, and, uh, yeah, some biblical basis for clothing this morning. Clothing is a part of our conduct. It's part of, part of our behavior. And uh, is it important enough to preach a message on it? <laughs> you know, we could ask that question, and perhaps we would say, it's, you know, we question that. But I like to say there's nothing... <clears throat> That uh, there's nothing there. There's not any area outside the Christian experience that the Bible doesn't speak to. I just believe that there's nothing in our Christian experience that we face in life that the Bible doesn't speak to. So, and I think it speaks to the uh, subject of clothing. All you hear, uh, all kinds of. Uh, uh, thoughts and ideas and you know the common thought is that if the heart is right that's all that matters which is true there's lots of truth to that but I also believe that a transformed heart will show expression on the external the internal heart if it is right with God it, it, it makes an outward expression and so uh, it is important that uh, uh, the expressions of our heart says something about what's in our heart <clears throat> the external expression says something about the condition of our hearts i'd like just to turn to matthew 6 and i'm hesitant to read a lot of scriptures because we don't have much time uh but matthew 6 is verse 25 through 33 speak of a uh, people who were over anxious and and uh, preoccupied occupied with food and clothing and uh uh, Jesus is addressing that. Uh, maybe just pick out a, a few verses. Uh, verse twenty-seven. Maybe we'll read that there to thirty-four. Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take he thought for raiment? That's clothing. Consider the lilies of the field. How they grow? They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall ye be clothed? For after these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But... Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought of the things itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. <clears throat> Just a few comments here. Again, Jesus is referring to a people who are preoccupied by food and raiment. And he refers then, and and Matthew is writing to the Jewish people who were considered the people of God, who had understanding of God, uh, and he's writing to them. And so he uses that term, uh, for after these things do the Gentiles see, And I think Gentiles today, as we would uh, say that for us today, the Gentiles are the people who have no knowledge of God. They, they are uh, the heathen. They don't reverence God, they have no understanding of God. They, they don't, uh, aren't concerned about God. And so those are the people who are taken up in the things of, uh, such as food and raiment. They're over-anxious about these things. And now to find a proper uh, basis for clothing, we're going to have to go to Genesis. Genesis chapter 2. By the way, we're going to go through the Bible today, uh, so I guess by doing that I'm saying that the idea of clothing goes, goes through, clear through the, God, uh, the Bible. Beginning in Genesis, we know the story of the fall, how that Adam and Eve, when they were created, they were created innocent, without sin, and notice verse 25 of chapter 2, it says, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed, Okay, That's a statement there. They were naked and were not ashamed. In their innocence, they had no sense of sin, self-consciousness of their nakedness. Uh, There was no guilt and no shame as we know it today. And then we look at chapter 3 where they actually sinned. They've disobeyed God and sinned. And what happened? Notice what happens. Verse 7, And the eyes of them both were opened. And they knew that they were naked. Suddenly there was self-consciousness there of their nakedness. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves apron. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And so on. I'll stop reading there. After sin, there was a shame for nakedness. And I believe because of the sin and the fall, it brought on the need for clothing as we know it today and it is going to be that way throughout time here on earth. I want to give four basic reasons purpose for clothing. Four basic reasons. Number one is to cover the physical nakedness of the body. God found Adam and Eve's attempt to clothe themselves says they clothed themselves with fig leaves. I don't know how big fig leaves are, but I don't think they're all that big and says they sewed them together. I don't know how they did that, but they made an attempt to clothe themselves. And God uh, said it's inadequate. It doesn't cover. It's not appropriate clothing. And uh, so he made them clothes out of animal skins. And I think it's that way today. Man's attempt to clothe our nakedness is inadequate, inappropriate. Man without God. And so it's important to also to know that clothing here was not meant to be an element uh, or protection from the elements. You know, when it's cold outside, we dress with extra clothes to stay warm. The idea of clothing here was not the idea to, as protection from the elements. It was to cover the nakedness. Number two, it alleviates our sense of shame. It alleviates our sense of shame. The fact that we're covered this morning just makes it comfortable for us to be here and to look into each other's eyes and to visit and interact with one another. So it alleviates our sense of shame when we're properly covered. Have you ever had a dream where you were in public and you weren't properly clothed? You were uncomfortable. You were ashamed. Somehow you had the clothes you just couldn't get them on. And it's not a good feeling. And so, again, when we're properly dressed, it alleviates the shame, our sense of shame. We're not so conscious about ourselves. Thirdly, it helps preserve the moral purity of the human race. When men and women are immodestly dressed and expose their bodies, then it results in immorality. We, we can, you know, history has just taught us that over and over again. It's happening in our world today. It's a moral depravity. When there's immodesty and undress, there is uh, immorality. So again, clothing helps. It's not, it helps. It's not, it uh, doesn't take away the, the cause, but it helps preserve the moral purity of the human race. And then fourthly, it symbolizes man's need for spiritual clothing, in order to be accepted by God. You know, while we are dressed properly this morning, it's our clothing symbolizes the need of a spiritual garment that uh, takes care of the sin problem. We need to be clothed with the righteousness of God. And so, again, I think that our clothing this morning, as we see them, and perhaps it's a thing that we ought to think about when we get dressed in the morning, that the clothes symbolizes the need for a spiritual clothing. We need God to clothe us with his righteousness. And so, again, it's a reminder that uh, while man's attempt to deal with sin is self-righteousness, and... uh, Self-righteousness does not deal with man's sin, but it is only the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from sin, and there's nothing that I or you can do to uh, somehow gain acceptance by God. It is only on the merits of his shed blood, and we come to him in repentance. Clothing make a statement. Do clothes make a statement? I think so. In the Bible, we have several accounts. Uh, we're not going to turn to them, but uh, the, the the priest Aaron, when they made a garment for Aaron, they made a, a, a garment. Uh, there were specific instructions on how it was to be made in Exodus twenty-eight, and it says it was made for, excuse me, for glory and beauty. And uh, it was obvious that when Aaron wore this garment, you know, it made a statement. How about Joseph's coat of many colors? Did that make a statement? When the brothers saw Joseph with that coat, you know, their hearts were filled with jealousy and envy. It made a statement. And uh, Revelation speaks of, Revelation 17 speaks of the woman who is referred to as a whore, how she's uh, arrayed in gold and silver and uh, scarlet and purple. And again, I think that makes a statement. And so I think that uh, as bloodwashed Christians, we want to be careful what statement we make by the way we dress. Is it an impulse of the flesh? Or do our clothes reflect the inner man, the Spirit of God? Clothes, I say, are not neutral. They make a statement. Also, want to uh, read from Deuteronomy chapter 22, uh, verse 5, and uh, just read that and I'll make some comments. It says, The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put a woman's garment. Put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are an abomination unto the Lord thy God. You may say, well, that's Old Testament, part of the law, and it is. But I think there's something here that's abiding. It says that it's an abomination to God, and that speaks something, you know, that's strong language. If something is an abomination to God, then I think that, you know, it's something that's abiding. It's not just Old Testament. And I think that uh, the New Testament speaks to that as well. Maybe it doesn't use that strong a language, but it does speak to that issue. Uh, Jesus, in Matthew, when the question uh, was raised about divorce and remarriage, he referred back to the beginning, back to Genesis. He says that God made them male and female. There's a distinction between male and female. And I think God is pleased with that distinction. And uh, important enough that it needs to be kept today. 1 Corinthians 11 speaks of headship. And it speaks how the man is the glory of God, therefore uncovered, haircut. Women the glory of man, therefore hair uncut, and glory covered. Again, there's a distinction. And is it necessary to say that there are only two genders, male and female? And God wants that distinction to be clear. <clears throat> now, i also like to turn to uh, uh, New Testament Scripture, 1 Timothy 2 and 1 Peter 3. And again, I won't be able to just read a lot, but just, uh, again, it addresses clothing. And it does address women's clothing. And I... I uh, I don't know, I think I know why Peter and Paul addressed women's clothing. I don't think they were pointing out or draw, uh, somehow pointing to to the women just because they want to put them down or, or, or the women have a problem with this. I think we as men have our issues too. Uh, there's things that we uh, crave or, or things we do for attention or for worth and value. It just doesn't happen to be clothing. And I think it's something that women deal with more than men do. i just like to read a couple of verses. 1 Timothy 2, verse 9 and 10. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh woman professing godliness with good works." Here you have both how to and not to dress uh, instructions here. Okay, and we go to Peter chapter 3 and the same way. He says, uh, whose adorning let it not be that of outward adorning, of plating the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel. That's not how to ordain, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in, in the sight of God a great price. I think there's several reasons why women tend to uh, uh, use clothes to draw attention. And again, I'm not, I don't say this to, to belittle you as sisters here this morning. Uh, it's not why I'm saying it. Again, I say that us men have our issues too. But I think there are several reasons. I think women desire to attract and appeal for the admiration of young men. That's something that becomes easier for them to do. It's more natural. Secondly, it is easier for women to find significance and worth in outward appearance. That's somehow a woman's makeup. And so, uh, after all, woman is for the glory of man. (laughs) The Bible speaks of that. And so there is something to that fact, but I think uh, Paul and Peter are both concerned about a practical life of holiness, moral purity, behavior, a chaste conversation. Uh, that is, you know, it speaks of soberness, uh, 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 coupled with fear. There's there's a reverence, a holy reverence, and desire to honor God. And it has to do with our outward appearance should uh, reflect a devotion to God. Uh, And so, uh, without a show, it's modest, a good sense of shame. And it's all right to to have a good sense of shame, sisters. That's okay. I think that is right and proper. Jeremiah speaks of of a people that uh, when they should have been shamed, but they couldn't blush. There was no shame. They couldn't blush. And I think you see some of that in our world today where immodesty and undress and people don't even blush. I think proper clothing keeps us, should keep us, from doing things that would hinder or harm our witness or that which would displease God. Uh, I think there's inner constraints God would want us to have inner constraints to, con- to uh, dress in an appropriate way. And again, this morning, I'm interested in building conviction. Unless these things become our convictions, you know, it's uh, somehow we miss it. And I know that probably for most of you young people here in your home congregations, there are some applications made to principles uh, of uh, modesty and so on. I'm not going to address that. But I do believe unless unless there is application made, principle is lost. If there's overemphasis on application, principle is lost. If there's over-application on principle without application, then the application is lost. Somehow we need a balance of both. Let's look at a few principles to guide us. And again, we're looking at principles, abiding principles that don't change that remain the same. Number one, it's a principle of stewardship should guide us when it comes to clothing, that of cost and quantity. Luke 16 speaks of a steward, and God wants us to be good stewards of the things he's entrusted into our care. And so I think that reflects both cost and uh, quantity. Do we need a high-dollar, name-brand clothing when something a lot less does adequately? Again, cost and quantity. How much do we need? How much clothes do we have in our closet that we don't wear? Cost and quantity. Secondly, the modesty principles. Now, I have several points under modesty principle. Body needs to be properly covered, not form-fitting. That's both for men and women. When, when uh, clothing are form-fitting, then it stimulates less than the opposite sex. And so I think not only should clothing cover skin, but it also should cover form. Uh, if it doesn't cover form, then I don't think it's properly covered. It needs to cover form. And then also, uh, I think modesty, under modesty, it teaches us to stay away from a a showy display, draw attention to self. But I think when we're properly clothed as God wants us to be, that it deflects attentions from ourselves and draws attention to Him. We desire to draw attention to God, and it should be reflected in our clothing. When, men, when people see us, then, then it should deflect from us and uh, uh, display or attract attention to God. I'm dressed this way because, because of I believe this is the way God wants me to, to look. And think about first impressions. We all make first impressions when we meet someone. Are those first impressions always right? You know, I, I remember we have a, a bulk food store, and so we see a lot of people. And I remember seeing a man come in, and, uh, you know, I, I I'm just kind of first glance, I had an impression, I, I labeled him, and uh, just by his appearance, and it wasn't necessarily good, but I come to found out, find out he was a good, decent man. What's the first impression you want to leave when you meet people? You don't want to be fake and uh, uh, hypocritical, but don't you want to leave the impression that, that you're a bloodwashed saint? saint, that people give that impression of you when you meet them? I believe. I think that's modesty. Deflect attention from ourselves. Another principle third principle is pilgrim and stranger concept. And I think this is a challenge for us becoming more so. But it means that our life must reflect our heavenly citizenship. Our life must reflect our heavenly citizenship. Do our clothing reflect that we are citizens of heaven and not of earth? Christians' entire lifestyle is to testify of the life of Jesus within. I've got three points I'd like to make in closing. First of all, be discerning. Ask yourself, what motivates me to dress the way I do? And it's all right to do it over and over. It's not just one time, but you just do it over and over because our hearts somehow are deceitful, and we can uh, sometimes our hearts, uh, yeah, they they don't guide us very well. So it's all right to just ask yourself, what motivates me? What uh, to ask and check your motives? Am I guided by the, by the impulses of my fallenness, my flesh, or I guided by the new man? Does the inner beauty of character shine through and permeate our lives? I think that's what we desire and want. Secondly, we're not different for the sake of different no, we don't just do different for the sake of being different. But recognize the world is constantly changing. is constantly changing, changing and we, we uh, um, are guided by the eternal word of God, by the principles I referred to earlier. We're guided by the principles of God who don't change. And then lastly... I'd like to refer to Revelations. One thing you find, not only in Revelations, I think it's through the Bible, even the Old Testament scriptures, that there is a certain garb or dress for the righteous. And uh, it is a, someone tell me what color that is? White. White, thank you. It's a white garment the garment of righteousness is symbolized by a white garment. And uh, we find that throughout scriptures and Revelation speaks to that uh, in a number of places, but I'm going to refer to Revelation chapter 19. um, Yes, 19, verse 7 and 8. I'm going to break in here, but it speaks of the marriage of the Lamb. And the Lamb is Jesus Christ, right? When Revelation speaks of the Lamb, it's talking about Jesus Christ as the groom. And then it speaks of a wife. Who's his wife? Come on. The church. church. His bride is the church. And the bride is going to be Uh, dressed in white. Uh, 7 and 8. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is a righteousness of the saints. In heaven there's going to be absolute, complete uniformity. <laughs> yes, a white robe. We're going to be dressed in white. And I think I like that, the fact that when we're dressed in white, it is a reflection of God's work in our life, and no one is going to enter heaven who is not uh, dressed in that white robe of righteousness. It is only for those or the blood-washed saints of Jesus Christ. Well, God bless you. You're a good audience.